But first up tonight, closer to home, for months you'll know, we've heard it on the show, healthcare professionals have been complaining about the shortages of medical staff and worsening quality of care at hospitals right across the country. Burnout, grievances about pay, there's a whole long list of things going on here have led many workers to even leave the industry. We spoke to Dr. Alan Drummond a few weeks ago uh, from a hospital in Perth that was forced to shut for much longer than they had expected their emergency room at least. Uh, And of course, a number of hospitals forced to close their ERs over the past weekend is once again raising a lot of red flags. Ottawa's Mofor Hospital was among them, suggesting perhaps that the most acute effects of the country's shortage of nurses are starting to spread beyond smaller communities such as Perth, Ontario, and into large urban centres such as Ottawa. Well, the healthcare crisis was front and centre day, centre today as Doug Ford, through his throne speech, uh, said the government could do more to ease health system pressures, but is not yet offering up any new solutions. Lieutenant Governor Elizabeth Dowdswell delivered Ford's speech from the throne, which marks the start, of course, of a new legislative session in Ontario. More can still be done. Your government is actively engaging with health system partners to identify urgent, actionable solutions and will implement whatever measures are needed to help ease immediate pressures, while also ensuring the province is ready to stay open during any winter surge. Today's speech from the throne in Ontario. Of course, it's not just Ontario. We've seen similar closures across the country, including here in BC and elsewhere, Alberta. Joining us now with more is Dr. Catherine Smart. She's president of the Canadian Medical Association and a pediatrician in Whitehorse in Yukon. Thanks so much for your time. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. So just a state of the union, it feels like last time we spoke, you certainly raised the alarm bells. I think everyone was well aware that this situation was deteriorating, yet it feels like it's getting worse this summer. How do you see it? I certainly think it is getting worse. You know, back in in early June, we were talking about the impending collapse of the healthcare system, and I think things continue to spiral downhill. You know, you could sort of look ahead and and see with the rates of burnout, the attrition of staff, you know, the volumes that our emergency departments were experiencing on top of the unresolved pressures of of COVID-19, you know, all the surgical backlogs and patients presenting with more advanced illness because they didn't get care during the height of the pandemic. The writing was sort of, I think, on the wall that things were going to get very tough in the healthcare system. And, And I think that's what we've seen. You know, now it's August, things are continuing to decline. We're seeing more and more hospital closures, limitations of services, ongoing cries for help from healthcare providers just saying, you know, We've never seen it this bad. Um, but what hasn't changed, I think, is the government. You know, we're still, I think, experiencing inertia in terms of them coming to the table with actual solutions. We're hearing a lot of conversations saying, yeah, yeah, we're going to do something. But, you know, I think the real question is, well, when? You know, this is not new. We've been talking about it for months and months. We've put forward many solutions. And what we haven't seen is any action. I guess the throne speech today was a bit of a litmus test. Obviously, Ontario is right in the middle of this crisis. We talked a lot about that hospital in Perth. It was just one example, but really a quite a vivid one. Then over the weekend, Mofor Hospital in Ottawa. Um, did you hear anything in that speech today that gave you any confidence that at least Canada's largest province is moving in the right direction? Well, I think, again, you know, what we're hearing is sort of a lot of words, but where's the actual plan? You know, you've got the throne speech saying, oh, yeah, we need to do more. And then you've got the Minister of Health saying, oh, no, this isn't unprecedented. This is normal. It's just because people are on vacation. I mean, these things are just not true. And and I, I think what matters is what you do. You know, talking about things and saying we're going to do something isn't helping. We need to really see action. And, and I think... 
what you're really hearing right now from healthcare professionals, you know, all of us are trained to manage critical situations. If you come into the emergency department and you're critically ill, you're surrounded by a team of people that identify your problem and rapidly work together to save your life. And we need that type of action right now from our governments. We need to really move beyond just saying the things and, and acting like we're going to do something. We actually need to do something. And I think that's what's getting so frustrating is we're, we're kind of done, I think, with the platitudes. Um, and I think it's really time to come forward with an action plan. And, and many of us are at the table offering solutions. Uh, but I think we really need to see the government come forward with saying, you know, this is what we're doing, one, two, three, four, five, um, rather than just these broad statements like, yes, we realize we need to do something, which isn't really helping. Canadian listeners should know that, of course, you have lots of ER experience as a pedi- as a pediatric ER uh, doctor as well. So you know exactly what it's like inside those emergency rooms. It's hard to imagine what it must be like because, as we've said over, you know, many times in these conversations, whether it be with nurses or doctors, I mean, these are some of the most dedicated professionals in society. And if they're saying, if they're you know raising the red flag, and no one's listening, it's hard to imagine what else you can say at this point. No, I, I agree. And, you know, I would say that generally as healthcare professionals, we, we tend to try to shield patients from bad things, right? You know, if, if we're understaffed, we haven't had a break, things are bad, you know, there's a lot of sick patients in the department. We try, when we come into the room and we're dealing with you, we try to be totally focused on the patient in front of us. We try to, you know, kind of shield people from the chaos and all the things that are going on and make people feel safe and comfortable. So when you see those same healthcare professionals, you know, sounding the alarm and publicly doing it over and over, and I think more and more voices joining in, in this, this conversation, people should really take that very seriously because these are not people that are crying wolf. You know, if they're out there telling you it's this bad, it's because it is. Um, and, and I think what we need is our governments to really be listening. And, and I think right now so much of the moral distress that healthcare workers are experiencing is the fact that the government seems to be on an entirely different page. You know, none of us think there's simple solutions that are going to happen overnight. We know that it's too complicated for that. But what we do expect, I think, is to be on the same team and to be bringing that same sense of urgency to what's in front of us. And I think if, if our government leaders could be there with us engaging in that and owning the problem collaboratively and, and admitting how serious it is, that would go a long ways to, to having healthcare professionals feel like, okay, okay, we're all on the same team, we're getting somewhere. But it, it, it almost feels like the opposite is happening. And the worse things get, the more we're hearing governments try to reassure the public that things are fine when it's clearly not. And that is very distressing. Yeah, I saw you use the term gaslighting the other day, which I know is not a term you'd ever use lightly uh, when it comes to the, uh, you know, a spokesperson for the health ministry and in, in a health minister in Ontario referring to everything being fine, right? That, yeah. uh, that there's a real sense of, of anger there now. Well, I think, and I think it is the right term, right? Because, you know, what is gaslighting? It's when people try to tell you that what you're seeing with your own eyes isn't happening. And that's what's happening right now in our healthcare system. You know, we have nurses, emergency physicians saying, no, I go to work every day and this is how bad it is. And then you have a person who, you know, probably has never been in a hospital at 2 a.m. surrounded by people whose lives you're trying to save say, oh, no, everything's fine. It's like, well, you know, who do you think has the right lens on what's actually going on. Um, and that's what's so so frustrating, because I think 
you know, what's clear is no one government got us to this place. It's no one politician's fault. It's no one political party's fault. We've been marching down this road for over 20 years. So many people got us to where we are. And I don't think it's about blame. But we're not going to get to solutions if we don't start admitting there's a very serious problem and trying to pull together and move in the same direction. And I think that's really what we need our leaders to do now. And there's many of us at the table willing to dig in and do that work. But we can't get started if we can't admit that something's seriously wrong. Do you get the sense, I mean, I'm not quite sure what to make of what, because obviously I watched the, the First Ministers meet here in Victoria a little while back talking about money and, you know, needing more money from Ottawa and so forth. But you get the sense that a lot of people who are in charge of making this, these decisions, at least to get the ball rolling again, don't know what to do, that they're, that they're lost as far as I can tell. Well, it's very interesting. You know, I think it is the ultimate case of institutional inertia. You know, we have our political talking points over the provinces. So it's the federal government's fault because they've been giving us enough money. You know, the federal government talking point as well. We're not really at the coal face of care. The provinces have to deliver the care and that's their responsibility. And we sort of bat these political talking points back and forth. You know, the reality is everyone has a role to play um, and we need to pull together to solve this problem. It's not going to be solved by one level of government. And, And many of us, including the Canadian Medical Association have advanced several very actionable ideas. And these aren't just our ideas. They're ideas that multiple healthcare professionals think are priorities. So people are being offered solutions. So it's, it's hard to understand, I think, for me, a little bit of why we can't see any action because they're being presented with very practical things that would make a difference. But there just doesn't seem to be the will to actually do something. And coming up after this, we will talk about some of those solutions you've put forth. Dr. Catherine Smart is our guest this half hour. She's president of the Canadian Medical Association. Stay around. Stick around. This is what we need. We've got to start over. And, you know, two weeks ago, I was thinking they won't fix the system before I die. And my family's in trouble. I've got two great, three great grandchildren. Um, two of them don't have a doctor. My granddaughter, who's a single mom, and with an autistic child doesn't have a doctor who's moving out of town right now. My son, who's 59, and his wife haven't had a doctor for five years. That was the voice of Janet Mort. Uh, I believe, Catherine, you might know this story. This is the woman in Victoria who placed an ad in a paper, in the paper, looking for someone to fill out a prescription for her husband. Her idea was that, that you know, she was part of a Royal Commission on Education back in the late 80s in BC. Uh, she's an Order of BC recipient. Her idea was, we need to start over. That's how drastic she thought, thought the situation was. What do you see as the solutions? Is that something we need to do? Do we have, need to have another Royal Commission to figure out what's wrong with the systems in each province and figure out a solution? I don't think we need another Royal Commission because I think it's quite clear what the problems are. I think what we need is a willingness to admit what they are and move forward. You know, so, you know, what we were hearing there was really the failure of our primary care system. Um, And that is a huge issue right now in this country, because just as she was describing, you know, one in five Canadians without access to our primary care provider, this is a national crisis. Primary care is the foundation of our health care system. It is the most value for investment, and it's critical to preventing complications for people to managing chronic disease and giving people high quality and longevity in their lives. So you cannot, you know, say enough about the importance of a primary care system, but we have not invested in our primary care infrastructure or our primary care physicians to create a sustainable system. And now we're reaping the downside of that, which is this exodus of people from family medicine. So 
But, you know, again, you know, do we not know what to do? No, we absolutely know what to do. And family doctors themselves have come forward with many solutions. And what are they? Well, they need infrastructure support, right? The days of a family doctor running a a private clinic like a small business are ending. It's no longer financially viable. People aren't doing it. Um, So, you know, we need the government to step in and provide that infrastructure support for family doctors so they can keep care in the community going forward. So that's a solution. We know that physicians need some variety in pay structure so that there can be some flexibility. You know, I think a lot of people don't realize physicians are paid in a very transactional way, fee-for-service. They have zero benefits. There's no sick time, no maternity leave, no pension, no you know, no dental plan, nothing. I mean, most people are graduating with two or three hundred thousand dollars of debt and not starting working until they're in their thirties. Well, you know, again, this this is not tenable for many people. You know, women go on maternity leave and they're faced at either spending fifty thousand dollars of their own money to keep that clinic going or closing it. So we need supports for people so that they can have different ways of working that are sustainable. You know, the administrative burden of family medicine has escalated over the years where most family doctors are spending, you know, another three or four hours a night of unpaid time doing paperwork for their patients. Well, this also isn't sustainable. So they need teams, people around them to help caring for an aging and more complex population. So, you know, these are not rocket science things. We know what the issues are, but it's going to take an acknowledgement that primary care matters and a willing to invest to modernize the system and bring it into this century. If our governments were willing to do this, I think we would see many people returning to family medicine, you know, having long-term group practices with teams so that you as a patient would know that's my medical home. And when I show up there, there's going to be someone there who can help me with my problem. But right now we're not investing in that. And that's why we have this crisis situation of so many people not having access to care. And that sounds like a very good place to start in terms of just where do you start, right? I mean, this is a very Malcolm Gladwell-esque question, but if you could have a magic wand to change one thing now to get this everything started in the right direction again, what would it be? Well, I think I'd, I'd, I'm going to pick two things. <laughs> sure. So, you know, the, the first one is absolutely primary care and, and what we talked about, because that, of course, has knocked down effects in the system, right? It, it is a huge issue for individuals, but also, as you can appreciate, when that system's not functioning well, it leads to overload on the acute care sector, people being in emergency departments that don't need to be there or, or there because their problems weren't addressed in the community and things could have been avoided. It also makes it much more difficult to move elderly Canadians out of hospitals and back into their homes or into long-term care because there's no one to provide that care. So if we solve the primary care crisis, it will help our acute care crisis. So I think that's really important. The second area that needs attention urgently is the human health resource crisis. And that is what's driving a big part of what we're hearing about right now in hospitals and in our emergency departments. And that needs to be taken seriously. And, you know, again, why is that happening? Well, no planning. There's no human health resource strategy in this country. We've been calling for that now for, you know, over a year. That's critical. We need to address why we aren't retaining nurses in the system, and that's for many reasons, the quality of their pay, the workforce environment, them constantly being asked to do more with less, forcing them to work in unsafe work environments. So that needs to be addressed with urgency. Um, And I think if we can do that, we could start retaining people in the system and maybe bringing some people back. And then over the next years, you know, and for looking forward, we need to start with a national human health resource plan so that we actually know what we're doing and we can be training enough people to adequately staff our hospitals with some redundancy, right? You can't be always operating on the edge of the knife. And that's what our hospitals have been doing for decades and it's not working. Yeah, we're seeing what the edge of the knife looks like now, right? Dr. Catherine Smart, thank you as always for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.